Of Yahweh, bless me. Yet again another day. Your breath in my lungs, Father. You bring me up to take me out and be in this world, but not of this world, Father God. Guide these truths and knowledge and wisdom that is yours that I share, Father God, that you bless the scriptures that I share. Abba Yahweh, thank you so much for allowing me to be your conduit. Abba Yahweh, Aman. Yeshua, Aman. Parakritos, Aman. Yes, praiseworthy all. So, I'm going to start this morning before I get into uh, the scriptural sharing that I want to uh, share some linguistic knowledge with you and, and share for your edification. So, I saw something in my study and in my reading, and I'd never heard the word before. Well, may have, a long time ago, and didn't really decide that I wanted to, to know. But when I saw the word shared in context with God, I wanted to find out what this meant. So... We're going to get to that. That'll be the last one. But I want to share some, some words that we have heard. And I want to share some things that are very applicable if you think on these things. Think about what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. And if you're having difficulty, then ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Because He will. He's the one that brought this to me. Qualify. We may know that certain things, that the word qualify, are you qualified to do that job? Do you have the knowledge for that job? Do you have the wisdom to apply that knowledge so that it's correct? And the jet airplane still flies, or that guy's car that you're repairing that he trusts you to do is going to get down the road and not fall apart. So are you qualified? So the word qualify... To provide with proper and necessary skills, knowledge, and credentials. It can be used in applying exactly what I am doing and what we all should be doing as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ when we share the gospel. Did God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit working in unison as a triune spirit over us to help us so that we can help others to get home? God has qualified me. He's validated me. And I've shared this before. You got an issue with things that I'm saying. Have you tried the Spirit? Because I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will tell you that I share the truth. I'm not making stuff up. I'm not going to do this to, to vaunt myself to a higher level of anything. This is to do my Father's business, to do what He's qualified me to do in sharing His gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to teach the word the very best that I can, and I believe that he's qualified me to do that. 
to qualify, to quantify, to give something, someone, regarding having only quality. Quantification is a reinforcement of qualify. To quantify is the, I guess, the Holy Spirit would be the one to quantify my qualifications. When I tell you to try my spirit and you pray that the Holy Spirit guide you in hearing as you should each and every single time you cross a threshold to a new church, if you're moving churches, you want to go in visitation with some friends, I've shared this with you before. I didn't do it the first time I went in. I was just anxious to be without... It was, it was very frustrating for someone who is used to being with brothers and sisters in worship and prayer and singing, and then all of a sudden to say, you can't do this anymore. You can't do... Shut them down. Close them up. And they were actually instances of people being arrested because they were going to church. And many might say that the Bible is not relevant to our days. <laughs> They were doing that before. They were doing that in Paul's time. Paul was doing that. He was closing churches to the extreme. He was burning them out and having the goers arrested and imprisoned, and some unto death. say, well, how is that relevant to today? Well, let's see. Churches are being closed. Churches are being burned. People are being executed, martyred, because they won't give up their faith in God. They won't renounce Jesus as the only begotten Son of God. They refuse to do that. And they're being martyred for it. Yes, they are today in our modern times being executed. Northern China, North Korea, beheaded because they will not renounce God and Jesus in preference to the Communist Party. Interesting. How is the Bible relevant to today? Let's rewrite the Bible and make it more relevant to today. Well, my response to that is that God is the Alpha and Omega. First, and last. And when he gave Moses, when Moses asked him, what did God tell him in when he met at Moses at the burning bush? First Moses spoke to an angel and then God. And God answered his question. Well, who should I tell them sent me? You tell them I am sent you. God has been, and as John relates to us, in the beginning, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Jesus tried to tell the Sanhedrin that he was the Word, the truth, 
and he came from the Father. But see, because of their arrogant attitude, because of their Phariseeism that many practice today, well, how can you claim to be the only begotten Son of God? God didn't have a Son. And we know that because of the Scriptures. And God said, did you not read the words of the prophets? They told you I was coming. Hello? Anybody up there? They told you I was coming. Here I am, but yet you refuse to believe the truth. That's because you're not of the truth. You are of your father. And he just flat out told him, he may as well taken a wide open hand, spread his fingers apart and slapped him right across the face, which was a verbal way that he did. You don't believe the truth. You wouldn't know the truth. And you don't believe the truth because you speak the language of your father. And who did he tell them? Flat out told them that their father was the devil. Oh my goodness, he told them that their father was the devil. And this is when they were trying to accuse him of uh, calling out the demons in the name of Beelzebub. Well, not one time did he use that word. And then he tried to explain to him a house unto itself. How could he call out the devil in the devil's name, that would be so contradictory, so convoluted, and probably wouldn't work anyway. Heck, I'm not going anywhere. I like it inside this person. I like it here because I can control them really easy. I can manipulate them just like I'm manipulating you. Well, let's not go there. We'll save that for another day. They wouldn't believe him because they didn't know the truth. And I love this other word, and... Honestly, I'd never heard it before. And I looked it up. And uh, it's the word impinge. I like that word. I like the sound of that word. Impinge. And God... impinges, I guess you can say it that way, but he impinges, and this comes back to God referencing the fact, and he tries to get us to understand that he is with us all the time. He tells us in Deuteronomy, Joshua, Isaiah, Even in the New Testament, Paul reminds us that God is with us always. And reminding you again, no matter where we go, He is with us whithersoever thou goest. That doesn't mean point A to point B. That means in our joy. He's rejoicing with us. He's happy that we're happy. If we lose a loved one, if if something really hurts, He is there with us. He's like that... um, He may speak to us and we're so upset we're not hearing. Too busy sobbing to hear that still small voice. Because he's not going to scream at us to get our attention in the midst of that. He's he's just there with us. Like the one friend of Job that came and just sat with him because that's what he needed. He wasn't like the others that were, well, you know, you did this. You really ticked God off. God's really upset with you. That's why God is doing this to you. Well, God wasn't doing that to him. There was an allowance, but God was not doing it. The other friend just came, was with him, 
let him grieve and was grieving with him. God blessed him. We got to get back in Job. I got to go back there and really study on that. And I'm going to share that with you. But here's the thing. Here's this great word. Pardon me. Impinge. Definitive context to make an impact or an impression. Has God impacted my life? Has he made an impression? Oh, indeed. And it comes from a Latin impingire. To the the second part of of the uh, explanation of the Latin term. This is so applicable to God. To fasten to to drive it in and fix. Impingere. Impinge. God tells us that he's all around us. Even as we're looking for him, seeking his face in the word, looking for him, and searching for his truth, his knowledge, and his wisdom. And <laughs> I've shared this before with you. He, he never goes away. He's closer to us than we realize. And the farthest that God may ever be distant is the distance from our knees to the floor. What's that supposed to mean? That's supposed to mean when you get down on your knees and you pray to God, he is right there. That's the greatest distance. Most oft times, when you turn your head to the side because you don't want somebody to see you talking audibly or that you're moving your lips and they start thinking that you're an odd. But here's the thing. I don't mind so much because we are called, Peter calls us a peculiar people and that means that you are different unique set apart this is what we're supposed to be we're not supposed to blend in with everybody else so when God impinges he affixes himself to us he makes himself fast to our hearts and while we're looking for him God shares with us that he's nearer than we can possibly imagine. Closer than the air we breathe. Whoa. Which is what he gives us anyway. Each morning that we get up, we should begin the day with thanksgiving. I share with you that I pray over you on my going out, the starting of the day, and my coming in, the ending of my day. I pray for your strength, your uprightness, your courage. Let me tell you, there are days that we have seen nothing yet. Nothing yet. There are, there are those who refuse to renounce the belief in Jesus Christ and their faith in God and the Holy Spirit guiding. Though I may lose my life, I will gain my soul. And I will be home with my Lord, my God, and my loved ones for always. So what mammon may have in store, 
I just pray that I'm strong enough to to face it and say, do your best and then whatever occurs. Because I will not tell somebody, well, God's just invisible and, and all that mumbo jumbo hocus pocus. I, I don't buy that anymore. I don't buy it anymore. Excuse me, bought it for all this time and then just because they're pointing a gun at my face or whatever, or they've got the big shiny sword and they're saying, you still believe? Yes, I still believe. Do what you will. You just send me home sooner. I don't have to wait. Well, I have the strength to be able to do that. Paul did. I want to have that. <clears throat> Peter did. Peter learned, <clears throat> pardon me. Peter learned how to be stronger without a sword than with a sword, which is what he was always trying to do, defend Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God who stepped down off his throne in heaven to come down and die for me. He thought he had to protect them. That at any given time that Jesus could have called 10,000 angels. I love that old song. He could have called 10,000 angels, that's all it would have taken, to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone on Calvary's tree. He took the steps up the side of Golgotha. People <laughs> mammon, I, they, you know, mammon, they they crack me up. They really do. They're very funny. Always trying to change the meaning of words. Like there's some old English words that come from the French-English wars in regards to archers who were <clears throat> very good. Archer, the English were very good. And they used a term, and it is a real term in archery. It's called flocking. When you flock the arrow, that means you take the arrow and you, you notch the flocks, which are the feathers used to guide the arrow, give it steadiness, and you flock it. Well, Mammon decided that taking an old medieval term that was used during that tumultuous time between the French and English, and they changed the word, totally changed it, so it doesn't have anything to do what it was meant to be for, and changed it completely to something else, which is now a derogatory cursory expedite that's usually used to direct malice toward another individual. And I have found that that's usually the case in most everything, except this one, impinge. God impinges our innermost being because when we look for him and we believe that he is breathing that life into us daily and we thank him and we're conscious of his being. And then we realize that we're not really alone. Many of us look at being alone and then we become lonely and we feed on it. Oh, Satan loves that. 
the enemy loves to be in there and mix that up. I'm learning more. Of course, I'm a... My nature, my... God intended it for right, but I have allowed certain things to come in that, that I really like to be with individuals. I'm very picky, though. <laughs> yeah, I am. You get to cross and you get too drunk and you get too crazy in that direction. Asla Vista. Because you're not a real friend. Real friends are conscious and aware. As I digress and go back toward Job, the one friend knew that what he needed was just someone to sit with him because he had lost. And for those of you that don't know, yeah, I definitely got to get back. The Holy Spirit's telling me I got to, <laughs> I got to take you to Job so you understand. So I'm going to give you a quick overview and then back to back to this. So Job was wealthy by standards in their culture. In their culture, um, when you talk about being wealthy or rich, it's not the same as we look at it, that you have a whole lot of money and you go out and you buy, 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 spend, spend, spend. Job had land. He had animals. And he had crops. And he had servants. Now, let's go back a moment too. Historically, back in those days that it's not relative to what they did when they took people from one country to another and enslaved them. There are terms for slaves. The Egyptians enslaved the Israelites because consultants to the Pharaoh convinced the Pharaoh that was took the throne after the Pharaoh that was good to the Israelites died and he took over. His counselors convinced him that Israel was going to rise up and take over the country. Well, that drove his fear and then they enslaved them and they put him in bondage and forced them to build the pyramids and other buildings and temples and all that thing to just wear them out. Back in Job's time when you had servants, those servants lived with and on the land, they, they had houses built for them. They stayed there. And and Job, as others that were in that culture in that time, they would give them what they needed. Whatever they needed, they would have. If they wanted to shop for some personal thing, they were given money to do so. And they served. But they weren't beaten into submission. They didn't have to be. They did so because they were being treated well. They were being cared for. They were like older children. And now, of course, we allow our children to walk right over. The parents just, they don't do anything with the the children. They don't guide them. They don't expect them to do chores. And they just feed them money, cellular telephones, computers. They just give them. Back in those days, children were expected to do certain things. Those that were in service to Job, he took care of them. He took care of them like they were his children and took care of their children. So he had wealth and he had that and that's what he was looking at. And so in one night, in one night's time, he was providing a feast for everyone, everyone to come and eat, everyone to take part. Well, Within the first hour, I back to the scripture, it says specifically you had a runner came in and left a message. Oh, 
a lightning storm came and killed all your all your cattle, all your stock. Killed them all. Oh, the house caught fire and collapsed and your children and were all killed. Everyone was killed, even your wife. And then a third messenger came. And each time before the first messenger finished, the next one was coming in giving him bad news. And then the final blow was that everything he had, everything was gone, destroyed, decimated, his whole life. And the one friend, true friend, see, we use that term friendship very lightly. We call every, oh, that's a friend of mine. Oh, that's a friend of mine. How well do you know that person? Well, we've only known each other a few months, but he's my friend or she's my friend. Really? Most friendships take lifetimes to cement and know. A true friend will not ask his true friend for anything unless he really needs it. And that true friend will provide it gladly and not question. But they know each other. They know each other. We call the guy that we walk down and see on the street a couple times my friend. We should be a friend to all because that's what the Bible tells us. We should show kindness and compassion and care, pray over them. We should be that. This is what the Bible tells us to be. So, in my reading, God's presence would be so that you don't feel lonely anymore. You shouldn't. When you're there and you're feeling you're alone, you feel like you're alone, start talking to God. God's right there. He likes it when we abide with him, spend time with him. Not just Sunday, not just in church, and not just willy-nilly, but we abide with him. We talk to him. We converse with him. We care. And prayer. Let me reiterate this. Prayer does not require that you throw yourself down on your knees, weeping and throwing your hands up and hollering and screaming out loud, doesn't require that. I pray daily during the course of my day. And when things are becoming hard, I'm learning how to do this that, that my reading is, is giving more and more and more and more. And let me tell you, through the course of the day, things are so different. Oh my gosh. And one of my favorite times are sunset. I talk to God about his artistry, his colors, his mastery of sculpting the clouds. Oh my gosh, yesterday it was so immensely beautiful. I can't even begin to, to share that part with you. But the different textures that he puts in the clouds. <coughs> Pardon me. I mean, there were... And you have clouds, different clouds. You have... Uh, Cumulus stratus, cumulus nimbus, you have cumulus that are just the big puffy clouds that gather. And then, of course, the cumulus nimbus are the ones that really get really huge and loud and throw out the lightning and thunder and, and all that stuff. And then you have the cumulus stratus, which are the ones that are kind of thin and just cover the sky. And then you have what they call zephyrs and scuds, different clouds. And God makes them all. 
He makes them all and they do different things at the same time and he can make them so they do it at the same time. And yesterday's clouds cover and the sunset. Oh, Abba Yahweh. So beautiful. The sky was so full of texture. They have uh, what's a descriptive appearance of a salmon sky. It's kind of small puffy but it's got space. It looks almost like scales. And then, and I knew this was coming, so I started getting really excited. And I'm talking to God the whole time that this is coming up and thanking him for this beautiful cloud cover and the sunset. See, this is the kind of thing that God likes to have, not just, and I, this is not trying to brag on me. That's not what this is about. Get, get past that, get over that. And if you keep looking for offense, you're going to keep finding it. So get over it. Go beyond that and look to the fact that we just talked to God. He likes that. And then when he threw the coloration into the sky, oh my God in heaven above, it was gorgeous. And I hope that many of you out there got a chance to share in that and were possibly in a vicinity that you could see the same sky. Oh my God. Oh my God, how great thou art. I had an awesome wonder the universes that thou has made i see the stars i hear the rolling thunder it's a song a beautiful song and it talks about god abide with him you have to know too that god knows before we think the words we're going to speak and and david wrote of this You know my thoughts, you know my rising up, you know my sitting down, you know my thoughts, you know my heart, you know what I'm going to say before I say it. So how, (laughs) and I love this because the reading uses, and it's it's actually so perfect. The absurdity of trying to hide anything from Abba Yahweh, the maker of all things made, the very one who created us, created me and has a calling for each of us to share that, to bring everyone to his house, bring everybody home. I, he just wants us to be with him in his very present. And here's that magic word. I love this word impinges on our innermost being. He fastens to it, drives in, and fixes us. Impinge, impingere. That's the, I think that's the definition that's most applicable to God. Although, there are times where the first old definition applies come in contact or collide, you have some that are so fighting and so, oh, they're so derisive and they fight and fight and fight and um, kind of like Jacob did when he was wrestling with the angel and the angel broke his hip when he got to wrestling. Anyway, so God attaches to us. He's in us. Everything that we have Emotions that we share, whether it be joy, anger, gladness, whatever it is, God 
has given that, you don't realize that they come from him. People don't realize this. They walk around life and they just, they don't even think about where it comes from. Some people just go off and not in a good way. Some people go in a good way. They like to share and they just do it to do it. Why'd you do that? No reason. What do you mean? Are you going to get paid? Are they going to pay you back? I don't need it. I don't require it. I just did it because. God, you're an idiot. And then you have people that do that stuff. Oh, my goodness gracious. And further in the reading that is shared, and I, and I believe this to be true, most everyone, most everyone deep down inside, you have agnostics, you have atheists, you have individuals, they will at some point in time, if you stay in a conversation long enough with any of these folks, it's very difficult to do, and sometimes, you know, I've, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to deliver it and have me just walk away cordially, give them, and then and then leave because their spirit sometimes can be very antagonistic. And we're not to confront them and just thanks for the conversation and off you go. But in the depth of the conversation, they have acknowledged that there is something. They don't say God. They won't use the term God. They won't use the word God. They won't say Yahweh. They won't give him any of his Names El Shaddai, Ashalom, Rafa, Yahweh, Abba, none of those things, none of those respectful terms and none of those names. They just said there's something out there. And many tried to get, say, well, you know, you don't have to believe that Jesus Christ is his only begotten Son. All you have to do is believe in God. Well, that is so, so far from the truth. Jesus told us in his word himself that no one comes to the Father but by me. You must believe that he is the only begotten Son. Pray and talk to God. Acknowledge Jesus Christ, but you have to, you have to go. You, you can't get to him without having done so. You can't. You must believe that God sent him to die for you, to sacrifice himself for you, which he did, in order to get to and be able to talk to God. Now see, when, and I'll remind you that when Jesus died and was crucified, the curtains that were hung that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the people and the congregation, the rest of the temple. It was there because at one time, The high priests were the only ones allowed to go in and hear what God told them and they delivered that message to the people. That that was how it worked and that was according to the old law. But remember the word of God tells us that he didn't come to destroy the world. He came to set the world free. And that when he did this thing and he kept telling people that his time was not yet come so he wasn't doing the miracles and all these things but as his time drew closer, he did more and more and more. Because it was time to let people know who he was, where he came come from, and what the purpose was. 
And when he died, those those tapestries, curtains, whatever they had in their in their temple was rent into, torn from the top to the bottom to the floor, and they fell away. The Holy of Holies, God's sanctuary, was open to anyone that would believe on him that Jesus came to do that thing and have faith in God. And like Jesus shared with the woman at the well, there is coming a time when you won't be required to go to the temple. See, they weren't even, they weren't even, the Samaritans were not even allowed to go to Jerusalem to worship. And their enmity between one another was despicable. They couldn't go to the temple, but he was told her, he said, there comes, there's coming a time when you will not need to be anywhere to worship God. She said, well, she didn't understand that. And then he said that God is spirit. He created everything, the maker of all things made, and that he can be anywhere and everywhere at any time. And you won't have to go to that temple, that synagogue, this church, or anywhere over there to worship God and be with God. You can do so anywhere and any time. However, let me emphasize this. And I'm going to flip over to Hebrews because it's right there before it talks about, let me make sure I get that word correct. Because we are told this, Paul writes this to the Hebrews. I want to make sure I get it right, so I'm taking a moment. Uh, ah, here we go. It's uh, Hebrews 10:24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So, the word provocation in the old writing doesn't mean that you poke somebody with a sharp stick, you know, and goad them. Like people claim the staff for the shepherd is for that's sort of pushing around the sheep and poking and prodding. No, it's not. That's for protection. So what we need to do is when we provoke others to love and to good works, we can do so with our actions. We don't have to poke them, prod them. We can do so with our speech. This is why we need to pray to the Holy Spirit to guide our tongues to guard our tongues, to guide our tongues. And I, I pray that the Holy Spirit, sometimes in situations that come up and, and where I'm at work, and I had to do so yesterday because the white noise interference was hard-pressed on there for some things that were going on. Is it worth for me to bring up and to certain individuals at work who are in a supervisory status? Is it is it necessary? Or to let it go and put it in God's hands, which I did, and then white noise interference comes back, I need to pick it up and I need to stir things up. No, I don't. So praying the Holy Spirit would just put hot coals on my tongue. And that just means that I'm going to be too busy trying to get that fire out on my tongue than be blabbing off and saying something stupid. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some is but exhorting one another in so much and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What's Paul talking about? So things are getting pretty musty and dusty. Oh, yes, they are. 
And that day is approaching, as promised it would. Don't know the hour, don't know the day, God does. Jesus reported that too. None know but the Father himself, and the angels in heaven don't even ask. But we need to know and understand that it's real. And we can't, we have to know, and that that is given to us, and, and as I was sharing, it, even the uh, agnostics and others that claim that they don't believe in God, yeah, okay, maybe you, you maybe you don't. You claim you don't, but then why in conversation is that message? You don't you don't mention his name. You don't honor him by saying his name, which is what that is. But they acknowledge the fact that there's something, and they don't understand. But they don't believe in God. Interesting. Okay, I don't believe in avionics, and I don't believe that pilots fly this thing, but. There's something up there in the cockpit, and there's somebody working on this thing to make it fly. So, okay, I'll go ahead and do that. Uh, well, pardon me for wandering off and trying to put logical reasoning. But there are those vehemently, with extreme prejudice, deny the existence of God. Why is that? Because him being close actually frightens them and in the reading terrifies them we don't have anything to fear from God faith in God believing in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit we have been cleansed by the sacrificial blood that Jesus Christ shed for us And here further is scriptural doctrine and evidence. Although not having been there privy to the conversation, I firmly believe that I believe that this book that I study and I read in, that I share is the truth, knowledge, and wisdom of God that he documented for us as a guide for our lives. And when you read through this from the first to the last and the last to the first, the rule of faith, regula fideli, the rule of faith, back and forth through this book, you see in Luke chapter 9, and Jesus is talking to, after the feeding of the large, enormous amount of people that actually mathematically is more than 5,000. Remember, we did that. Each man, head of the house, that's what they count, 5,000. And then being married, 10,000. If the household has two children, so 5,000 plus 5,000 is another 10,000. So now you have 20,000 people. And if the household had four children, as was customary in that day. Now you have another 10,000. So the number would fill a college football stadium if you can imagine that seating. 
And Jesus standing in the middle of the field, giving that. Anyway, <clears throat> in Hebrews 9 and 20, he said unto them, but whom is, well, let me digress a little bit so you understand. And it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. He, they were there, but they weren't disturbing his prayer. And he asked them saying, whom say the people that I am? And some of the ancients said, John the Baptist. Now you remember, he was killed. Some say Elias, prophet. Others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, the Christ of God. Remember what that word means. Christ means anointed of God. That's not his middle name. His name is not Jesus Christ bar Joseph. That's not his name. Christ means anointed of God. Jesus was a name that he was given. If any middle name, it's Jesus Emmanuel bar Joseph. God with us or God in us. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing saying the son of man must suffer many things and he rejected and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. What does that mean? That means that every single day that we have to be willing to lay ourselves down. It doesn't mean that we have heavy loads and the things that are going on and things that weigh on our minds and trudge it along through life. That's not what that means. Yes, the cross was a burden and a load, but that's because they beat Jesus nearly to death before they put that load on his shoulders to make him walk up Golgotha. And there is the change in the word again. That mount where Jesus Christ was crucified on that tree so interesting how people want to make everything so mamby-pammy and sugarcoat everything. Here's the deal. What good is sharing the gospel if you're so busy sugarcoating it that it goes down <clears throat> like what was that in Mary Poppins? A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Well, if you're busy sugarcoating the gospel and the truth and the word of God... You're so busy making sure that that's sugar-coated like candy. Like what did they, they used to call them in the old English? They used to call them the dainties. See, Satan does that. He sugar-coats and he makes bait, makes dainties out of his white noise. Don't do that with the gospel. Be truthful, be honest, be upright. Don't be confrontational. Don't be cruel because there's nothing in the gospel that says that we need to do that. But be truthful with the gospel. There are things that are not a good thing. And those of you that read the word and only want to read the bluebirds of happiness and the lilies of the field and all that, and they don't want to share the truth, shame on you because you're not sharing the truth. You're masking the truth. You're sugarcoating the gospel. We're not to do that. But he acknowledged the fact that they knew and remember that he talked to Peter 
<clears throat> another time. And he asked him, he said, but whom say you that I am? And he said, you are Jesus, my Lord, the only begotten Son of God. What did Jesus then tell him? He said, man has not revealed that to you. The Spirit has revealed that to you. The Holy Spirit revealed the truth. And I share this with you. This is why you try the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will deliver nothing but the truth. The whole truth, nothing but the truth, because he is from God. He is part of God. He is God, and he is our guide. And that is the way it is. But we also allow the fact that Jesus can live through us because, remember that word, impinge, that he affixed himself to our inner being and that we need to not show off but show out. Difference. Back in the day when I was younger, you know, grown up, she'd say, oh, he's just showing out. Well, I like the updated version. When you show off, you show off your clothes and you get up and you say, yeah, well, my mom and dad got that. Check out that bike. Check out the new car. Check out all this new electronic gizmos that mom and dad give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, because I bugged them about it. Okay, but show out what you have inside. Spoiled, rotten, mean, nasty, cursory, disrespectful. Yeah. Got all the things that they wanted, but none of that. So here's what David shares in Psalm 139. And I talk about his closest. Oh, Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit, when I get up. You perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. <clears throat> and here is Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and reminding them about God. But now, in anointed of God, Christ Jesus, <clears throat> pardon me. You who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. This has a multiple meaning here because remember the tapestry, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies and people couldn't come near God and remember when Moses was meeting God on the mountain, he had to hide himself in the cleft of the rock, but he stole the peak and just by the mere passage of God's shadow on him, and he came back off the mountain, they knew that something happened to Moses. He glowed. His skin was different. He glowed. And his hair was white as snow from when he went up. And that was just going up there and just a fleeting shadow that God gave him permission. But he had to hide so he wouldn't be struck dead from the holiness of him and the and because uh, the impurity that's in us. And and since I'm there, I'm going to remind folks that may or may have not heard this. When Jesus was being crucified and he hollered up to God, my God, my God, why hath thou forsaken me? And there were many that were here and heard him speaking. He was speaking in, in a, probably Aramaic. 
doesn't say exactly the language, but there were those that they heard what they heard because the Holy Spirit can do this. But they cried out that he was calling to the prophet for Elias to show up and share, but that's not what he was saying. He was saying, my God, my God, why hath thou forsaken me? But remember this, that Jesus Christ's purpose was to come and take on the sins of the world and be crucified as a sacrificial lamb. And once that was done, and at that, that very moment, he had all the sins of the world. God could not look at his only begotten son because he had become so vile, had become so filthy, he had took on all the sins of the world to be that sacrificial lamb. But then in a moment, <clears throat> God turned back to his son, loved his only begotten son, loved us, loves us still, so much so. And Jesus asked forgiveness for those who were crucifying him. I want to have that strength because there, I believe firmly, either I'm going to be in heaven already. <clears throat> was kind of, we had kind of a fun minute at church just for a minute and I just blurted it out. <laughs> Not everybody realizes my actual earthly age and my physical age. <clears throat> but the, the pastor asked us, he goes, where are you going to be in 40 years? <clears throat> I said, heaven. Which, of course, that's not up to me. 40 years, I'm going to be 105 years old. God may let me stay that long. There are some people in my family that were pretty close. Grandma was 96. Grandpa was 92. That's pretty close. And he may, Caleb was 85 when he went into Hebron. People don't believe that I'm my age when I share that with them and share the fact that I have four grandchildren. They don't buy that. God has richly blessed me. Not about me. But we have separated ourselves, but we have been brought closer to God through the blood of Jesus. When he was crucified, that tapestry rent and spilled off the, the rods and fell open. Our access to God is complete. We have access. We just need to take the key, unlock the door, and walk through. That's what it is. And the Bible tells us, seek and ye shall find. You have not because you ask not. If you don't have God, you don't feel, you're not talking to him. You're not asking him. The Bible tells us all we have to do is ask our good, good father. And let us not forget this. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5 20. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's he talking about? Jesus Christ stepped off his throne. He was on a throne in my home. He was on a the throne there. And here's the thing that the word tells us also, that we are heirs and joint heirs in Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven. If we accept the fact that he is the only begotten son of God, we have faith in God, we follow the steps of the Holy Spirit, follow his guidance, and we believe. We are heirs and joint heirs in Jesus Christ. It tells us that. It tells us that. 
And brothers and sisters, I'm going to remind you of this because the book of Romans is our adoption letter. Romans 8. I call it that. I title that. God just mind. Let's scribble it in the sidebar. My adoption letter. 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in anointed of God, Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And here further. In Hebrews 8.16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with the anointed of God, Christ Jesus, if so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified in him. John, or uh, Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome is attesting to the fact that and it says that we have to bear our cross. And that does not mean a heavy burden and load and bills and all those things are. That means that we may be and have to suffer the things that he did. There are those that hunt down Christians. Remember that. You are in my prayers, my going out, my coming in through the day, constantly praying over you and in touch with God, our Father.